Welcome on. Thank you for tuning in to the Bad on Base FC podcast, the podcast focusing all things pro soccer and the DMV and across the United States. My name is Jose Omania, sports writer for the Sports Post. Joining me as always, Mario Maya from the Tiempo Latino. Mario, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, got a haircut this weekend and apparently I'm Twitter famous now. Yeah, congratulations to you. Your tweet went all over MLS. Props. Can't give you nothing more than props. Thank you. <laughs> but besides that selfish blubber, uh, we will get into the Washington Spirit dominating and getting into the playoffs in a second. But first, we have to go over what was an eventful 0 0 scoreless draw between DC United and Nashville on Saturday night. Bill Hamid recorded his 77th career shutout. He overtakes Zach Thornton in his six all-time. Why was it eventful, you may ask? So many injury guys have returned. Adrian Perez made his first appearance back after having a foot injury. The sidelined him from July 17th until now. Drew Sundrick made his first appearance since mid-September. Ramon Avila made his first appearance since his injury problems. And United, despite getting a tons of offensive opportunities, outpossessing, outshooting Nashville, they were unable to get the goals they needed to go up higher on the table. United, due to a tie, I mean, due to a New York Red Bulls victory this Sunday afternoon, United remains in sixth place with 41 points, tied with Montreal. But because they have that goal differential and the tiebreaker with matches against each other, United remains in six while Montreal has the last playoff spot. But United remain ahead of New York City and the Red Bulls, New York City FC and the Red Bulls by one point. And they're only one point behind Atlanta for fifth and three behind Orlando for fourth. So much <laughs> with on the line in the next five matches. Hernando Sada said it best, regardless of how many injuries they have, this is the time of year where they're going to have to come out with guns a-blazing for the next five matches. I can't manage uh, because I don't have enough uh, numbers. Uh, and today, for example, many players who were on the bench, uh, they were not 100% fit. So they also had uh, limited minutes. Even players who started tonight, like Andy, like Nigel, like Adrian, uh, they all were players, even Kevin, who completely came, but on paper was a player who was not able to play 90. So now the games are coming one after each other, and and I don't have enough players to rotate. So many players, will, we will have to go through fatigue. We will have to play uh, being tired, not being 100% recovered. And and it's, it's just about uh, being tough, <laughs> being strong enough to survive and try to to get points, especially at home, knowing that that we are a, a good home team, that uh, with our fans, we always can run the extra mile and and give something something more. So every point is going to count. It's going to be close and tight until the end. So uh, super positive because we are in a, in a spot where nobody believed um, before the start of the season. Mario, before we talk about the future, what were your thoughts on what you saw last night? So I thought that DC United played extremely well. I feel like 
unfortunately they were unlucky in not getting the goal that everybody was looking for. I think the best op- the two best opportunities came in the first one came in the first half with Ola Kamara just striking the striking the post first two minutes of the game. And then Russell Canales having an opportunity in the second half where he heads the ball, but Joe Willis was able to save it. And then in the ensuing rebound, just couldn't necessarily put the rebound away and having cleared out. With that being said, they they played, they they stuck true true to their style of just pressing Nashville. Nashville couldn't really fought couldn't find answers in certain in certain instances to the press, but DC United's uh, finishing was a little bit sloppy. At, was a little bit sloppy, and it was just not all the way there. Other than that, I think they played pretty well. I think defensively, they kind of held their own against Nashville, who's quietly been one of the more solid teams this season in MLS, especially considering that you have. The DC United killer himself, uh, Manassas Park's own CJ Sapog, and uh, Mukhtar up front. And they were able to neutralize them for the most part defensively, especially CJ Sapong. CJ Sapong became a non-factor and was subbed out in the second half. Mukhtar had a good opportunity, but Bill Hamid was able to save that. But other than that, I think... DC United was just unlucky on the night in not scoring a goal. I think that would have been been uh, the exclamation point to a pretty solid performance. So overall, the result's not the one that you look for. It's not the one that you wanted, but it still keeps you ahead on your playoff ambitions. And a point is better than no points. Yeah, before we, I talk about the point situation, just real quick. You know, Hernan is notorious for just saying, we play our style, there is nothing... They played to us and blah, blah, blah. No, there was a defensive strategy yesterday. And Donovan Pines clearly told us that it was to mark out CJ Sapon. Like, they respect him, especially after he scored two goals on them and when they played in Nashville. So he clearly has got, you called him United Killer. Like, he's clearly created his name, not just as United Killer, but to this specific version of the team, he's clearly become someone that they were like, we need to stop him. And there was a defensive game plan. It was just, you know, communicating as much as we could. So when CJ would switch, you know, me and Steve would say, okay, you know, Don, you get this guy, you know, he covers. So honestly, we were just working in tandem and making sure that we kept tabs on um, Luktar and on CJ because those were the threat guys um, going forward. I thought that defensively they were strong not you know other than that one chance that you mentioned there wasn't really much of anything that i felt that was worrisome by nashville but in terms of united they missed several opportunities early on where they hit the post i thought that's got to be it and but outside of that it's just that they kept the intensity up it was just that final touch and you know starting the game off with two strikers and a two striker system with Nigel Roberta, who's been back from injury since the start of October, but not had full match fitness yet. And Ola Kamara, it felt like there were times where they weren't sure what their positioning was. Uh, Outside of that, everybody else flowed perfectly. I thought Adrian Perez really put a stamp that he belongs on the starting 11. And if he doesn't, start he's gonna still be a lightning bolt like he's just 
him and Pariola have the same type of energy that I like in terms of like knowing your positioning, but as well as finding those spaces and creating passes and creating opportunities out of nothing or, or finding space to make that pass or to make or go after defenders one-on-one. I think we see a lot of that with Andy a lot, but everybody else, it's very suspect. Paul does it from time to time. And I like that Adrian was out there going, yeah, I'm going to take people on one by one, one-on-ones. And it's it's good, you know. And I think he's going to need minutes, but I think Hernan said in his Spanish best, like, it's going to be really hard to get guys minutes when there's five matches left and every game is basically a playoff game because nothing's been solidified yet in terms of their playoff positioning. Right, and also, I mean, now that you mentioned Andy, Andy played a full 90 minutes midweek in the World Cup qualifiers for Honduras against Jamaica, and he played 45 minutes. And so I think Hernan also alluded to that after the game during the press conference, that he's going to manage some of these some of the players' fatigue going forward, especially considering that you have five games to finish the season, and it's five games in 15 days. You're playing, you're going to start off, Playing three games in a span of in a span of a week, starting Wednesday against New England, and then you're also playing two rivals, two direct competitors in the playoff spots in both New York City FC and the New York Red Bulls, who weirdly enough, who also, as you mentioned, play today. So it's going to be interesting how he manages. Uh, the minutes going forward. I was glad to see Adrian Perez back on the start in the starting eleven. I thought he did. He pulled in a put in a solid shift. I want to say he played only forty five minutes, but again, that's more of time management more than anything else. And, and yeah, he was not afraid to take on defenders. And, and it's funny that you mentioned that because because he was be prior to the injury. That was more of his style of play. He was the guy that pretty much took on defenders, created, and was able to create scoring opportunities for those around him. He didn't necessarily have to score goals, but he opened lanes, and he kind of did that in a way last night, given that it was his first game back. But other other than that, I think going into this last game of the season, I think they're going to ramp ramp up the the production, ramp up the energy. And try to get and try to pretty much impose their style going forward, but it'll be interesting because not only do you have to think about time managing players' time, managing trying to get players more acclimated to it, but it's these next few games aren't going to be easy, and so I think it's good. I think they just have to be care be careful going forward going into it. I think I also want to shout out the defense. I think they've done pretty well in these last couple of games and just in just man marking certain players on the team on 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 opposition. Andy Nahar kind of did the same thing with Mukhtar in certain instances. All all in all, just it's cool that Adrian Perez came back. He came back somewhat looking like himself, even though he hadn't played in about three three months or so. But going forward, I think that Hernan Losada is just going to have a lot of rotation in the lineup, thinking about the last five games of the season. 
Yeah, and what makes that rotation harder is the fact that three of the players you want to make that rotation with in Pariola, Edison Flores, and Jordy Reyna come back for international Dewey carrying Knox. Steve Goff from the Washington Post just reported this uh, after yesterday's game. The club's hopeful to get Paul back by the 27th for the Red Bull game. But then that's technically him missing three matches. And then you have Reyna with a quad injury and... Flores with a calf injury, their return date is unknown. So there was a question that you had asked about how Hernan feels about getting some players back. And now knowing, understanding the injury situation, it kind of makes sense why his answer was, I'm glad to have some guys back. But the reality is I only have five games left. And guess what? The majority of my guys have missed a lot of games. And I guess if you think about it, it's like it goes to that frustration of, we're knee-deep, five games remaining. One of those games is a winnable game, and that's the Columbus game. Like, no disrespect to Columbus, but the next two game, the next three games, are, the next five games are the two best in the Eastern Conference and two teams battling for the final two playoff spots, New York City and New York Rebels. So those are going to – you're basically on a playoff run starting now. And so you can't lose any of these next upcoming matches. And so I understand Hernan, when he responded to your question, he said – we got to think about this next year in terms of who should stay because there's just too many guys being injured. Maybe we need to review how we do things in terms of our physical profiles and how we make those or how we help guys recover. Sí, están recuperados, pero no están 100% físicamente como para poder jugar. Así que sí, los hemos recuperado, pero eh, necesitan partidos, necesitan tiempo para sentirse bien y no hay tiempo. Eh, así que obviamente contento de tenerlos pero eh, frustrado por saber que en, en cinco partidos termina el campeonato y este año muchos chicos se han perdido muchos partidos así que creo que es algo para analizar analizar nuestros perfiles físicos analizar la manera en la que recuperamos a los jugadores eh, la manera en la que trabajamos eh, fuera del campo y dentro del campo porque eh, creo que no es normal eh, haber tenido eh, tantos jugadores que se han perdido tantos partidos y jugadores por los que el club está pagando muchísimo dinero. Así que eh, es una evaluación que haremos al final del campeonato, pero en este momento eh, no queda otra cosa que pensar en el próximo rival que llega en tres días y, y mantener, eh, mantenerse positivo porque eh, todo es posible y está en nuestras manos. Like, that's got to be a concern. And especially, you got to think about it. Like, these guys go to international duty. What was the conversation like in terms of how many minutes they should play? Paul was set to start the first three matches for the U.S. men's national team. And he had to have known about the third starting event. So he gets a groin injury minutes before he's supposed to start against Costa Rica. I wonder what the chat was with Hernan with U.S. soccer about not a, limit, a minute restriction, more or less, but, you know, understanding Paul's leg history, and, and he just coming back from that knee injury. He doesn't need to start all three matches. And and we were asking ourselves this the last podcast, like, are there going to be concerns about killing these guys because of the tight window? And it turned out that Greg Brohalter didn't care. He was ready to go with Paul um, in that match. So if I'm Hernan, I'm really upset that I – can't have all the guys I want for that rotation that you spoke of. 
Right, and especially concerning that Edison Flores had missed a sig. I guess we're going to go with Edison Flores here as one of the guys that's out. He had missed a significant amount of games due to a due to a hamstring injury at the midway through the season. So, and he was slated to start. I think a good chunk of their matches for Peru, him and Jordi Reyna. Uh, given given those circumstances, he may not be too pleased that the fact that Edison Flores got injured, especially in a rivalry game against Chile, uh, out of all out of all out of all games, and so yeah, I think for Arnon it's a little bit frustrating, given that Greg Berhalter didn't really care and just slated to start Paul Ariola all three games. And well, Paul I'm not going to say he didn't care. I'm not trying to interrupt you, but I'm not going to say he didn't care. I think. He tried to manage his men the way he thought it was appropriate, and he was going to start his winger for three straight matches in seven days. Like I'd had, if I was Hernan, I'd be concerned that that was the decision that was almost made, and that he ended up getting a groin injury. Groin injuries tend to be, you know, you you're moved because you're overexerting yourself. That's how you normally get those groin injuries. Either you took a bad step. Or you got a, you got a, you got tackled on while you were doing a wrong step, and then you pull something. Like that's how those run injuries happen. It's not, and so Paul was exerting for playing his third match in seven days, and technically his fourth match because he played before he left. His fourth match in close to fourteen days. That's insane. And we're about to ask these players to do five matches to 15. Like, one's got to ask himself how insane this is to play these kind of schedules. Right. So it's it's got to be exhausting for play, players, especially considering if you're coming back from international break, that you're going to that you're going to you're going to be demanded a lot. Of, there's going to be a lot of demand from you physically and mentally going going forward. But. It's got it's got to be frustrating for not not to count on on key pieces of your of your starting lineup for due to injury, and I think the one for Paul in particular is the one that that kind of may bug him the most. Right. So before we move on, just a reminder: United will play a midweek match that's against the top seeded New England Revolution this Wednesday, and then on Saturday they will travel to Red Bull Arena. To take on New York City FC. Correct, so, Yankee Stadium. Oh, yay. It's finally been moved when I can't go anymore. Anywho, it's going to be at Yankee Stadium, but of course they move it. Back well, to there's going to be a game in October at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, right. That's the reason it's going back to Yankee Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> but um, any final concerns you have? I know injuries is the top concern, but anything else you of note? I want to say that right now I, I want to know if Ola Kamara could keep pace with the uh, in the Golden Boot race. He currently leads it with 17 goals, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I, I want to see if he could finish it out. I'll fi- finish out uh, winning the Golden Boot. Him and Rui Diaz are neck and neck, and both of them haven't really been scoring as of late. So I, I want to see how that's going to play out moving forward. We'll keep an eye on it, as always, but moving on. A team that is excelling on the field, despite everything going on off the field, is the Washington Spirit, who traveled up to the Pacific Northwest and defeated All Rain 2-0 with the final score. With the win, they got 
the results they needed. They got Chicago, Chicago won, but North Carolina lost and Houston lost, meaning Washington Spirit are officially playoff bound. It will be their first trip to the playoffs since 2016. First goal came in in the first half with a Taylor Amaker shot that looked like a floater. <laughs> the summary is hilarious. This is a rocket, but man, that was a floater. Is that a I'm like that. That one, yeah, that that floated. I don't. Rockets look different. That was definitely a floater. It was a nice floater, though. It was a very nice chippy goal to go over the head of the goalkeeper to make it one nothing. The real rocket came in the 59th minute in the second half with Ashley Hatch getting her 10th goal of the season, becoming the first player in NWSL history to go double digits in goals, scoring outside the penalty area and driving a right footer right past the goalkeeper, making 2-0. And now the Spirit are in third place with 36 points, three behind LL Reign for second place, which would mean a bye if they can get there. And one ahead of Chicago, who are sitting in fourth. Currently, where it stands right now, the top six teams advance to the, the playoffs. And again, the top two seeds receive a bye. That would mean if the tournament would start this week, the Spirit would host a match. Hopefully at Audi and not Sagra. <laughs> but I digress. Mario, what are your thoughts on the Spirit earning themselves a playoff spot? All right. So to, to summarize the goals, because they played in a baseball stadium last night, and we're going to keep it in baseball terms, the Spirit got an RBI single which was a floater. It was a blooper. <laughs> it was a blooper, yes. It was and a blooper then, left field. <laughs> and then they finished off the game with a with a solid grand slam grand slam home run by Ashley Hatch. Now it, it was well, it, it's interesting because they did those goals pretty much made uh, pretty much made the game a little more manageable for the spirit. And also I have a tweet here from Molly, from Molly Hensley Clancy saying the spirit have not lost a game since Richie Burke got fired outside of the two games they had to forfeit. So imagine with everything that's gone on with the spirit in the last what, two, three months off the field, on the field, it hasn't affected him and they've, and they've kept, they've kept it rolling. And just pretty much, just pretty much, just keep everything, carry everything in check, and there you go. The result is you get a playoff berth. They played a better team that had a had a murderer's row of forwards on the lineup with Megan Rapino, Rose Laval, and Angie Lesamer, and absolutely pretty much got the result they needed. And also, this is the second win they've had this season going to Seattle up to Seattle against the all rain. Well, technically it's Tacoma, but who's caring about <laughs> that? But, but yeah, I, I, I watched most of this game and what I loved is, well, first off in the first half, I kind of give all over and credit. I saw the lineup and I said, well, what are they doing? They have, they, they essentially had, you know, Mega Rapino playing on the left, Rose playing in the middle, Somera playing on the right. I said, Somera, you want her in the middle, and you would want Rose Laval underneath. 
right. Kinda, and it's kind of it's kind of disingenuous to play Les Samara out on the wing because that's a typical number. That's a number nine. That's a poacher. Uh, that that is that is us. That is the full definition of a striker. I would want her playing in the middle, and having, and having Rapino and Laval play w- or on the wing. So it's kind of but it's, interesting. But I think what ended up really happening was, and you see it on the FIFA video games. It was more of that Christmas tree formation of, you, you, though Samara was more middle, and you had basically. But you had the other two play underneath her, but allowed to roam wherever they want. In this case, you had Megan Rapino go out to the wing more, and then you have Rose playing more in that middle, and then when necessary, float out to the to the right wing and then necessary. And I thought in the opening twenty minutes, you could see it did bother the spirit. Uh, the defense, the center backs, really had to try and dial back a bit. They had to see a little because they were so focused on Samara. They weren't seeing Rosabao cutting through the channels. And go, there was a play around the seventh, eighth minute where a cross came in and had the ball either been a, a smidge slower or had Rose been a little faster, she gets that ball and she scores. Like she slid in and she like she just like is in despair and discuss like I should have gotten to that. And that's what I found about Ola Rand. He said in the opening 20 minutes, they bombarded the spirit defense with opportunities and chances. They just could capitalize. And the spirit's first goal, I mean, yeah, we dunking it a little bit. It was a floater, but, like, that was the kind of thing that was happening. You've seen soccer games like this where you have one team fully attacking, and then when the other team gets to the other half, they have either a luck opportunity or just something bounces right. In this case, the shot floats over, and it goes in the net, like, that was a momentum changer heading right into halftime. It was early enough, but right before halftime, knowing that you did all this work in the opening 20 minutes, and then two minutes later, oh, the Spirit get a goal from, and it's a first, Taylor's first goal in her career. So uh, props to her, her first goal in the NWSL. Um, she was a replacement player who ended up getting a chance and stayed on the team. So Shout out to her. And then you come out of halftime, you're thinking, okay, we just got to bounce back from that goal. It was kind of a cheeky goal. And then they score again. Like, if I'm all rain, I'm looking at this as a missed opportunity to clinch that number two spot. And what ended up happening is Portland won today against Houston. They got the, the NWSL Shield, their version of the Supporter Shield, their version of the top team of the league. And Ola Rain has to sit there and go, that was an opportunity lost. Had we won, this would still be a race. But now we missed out. We missed out on clinching our own playoff spot. They needed a result that happened to officially clinch their playoff spot. And Spirit, I mean, what's there to say? They are clearly putting whatever anger they have with everything going on into playing football. You think we, we heard that from Bledsoe, at the last home game, we just want to play. Like, we don't want to deal with the things, but we have to. But we're on the field. The focus is on the field. And it's clear that whatever is being done to get them focused, it's clearly working. Right. And also, we forget to mention, 
This could have been three nothing. Trinity Rodman done danced around defenders. Yes. Beats the goalkeeper, gets oh. a shot on goal, and the all all rain saves it off the line. So- so close. So close. <laughs> so, yeah, this could have been worse for, for the for OL Raid. And I think OL Raid had already officially clinched their uh, their tick to their uh, playoff Not spot. Yet. Not they yet. Needed, they needed a win, but they officially now clinched because of the Houston loss. So, I mean, thanks to Portland, all three clinched. But Still, like, they could have had that nip that in the bud that night. And if, if you're all rain, got to think, like, crap, if they win their playoff game, we may have to play them again. In Portland. In Portland. No, 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 no. Not Portland in Portland. It would be the all rain in Tacoma because they're the number two seed. If the Spirit lock up the three seed and they win their playoff game, Spirit would have to travel to Tacoma, and the Spirit's beating you twice in your home pitch. Like, if you're the Spirit and you and you think about that, you're like, oh, great, we're going to our house in the middle of Tacoma. Right. So, you know, they have off for international duty, or I don't know why, (laughs) but they're off for the next week. Um, and I think, you know, we heard, we've heard, um. Chris Ward talk about whenever they're off, they rejuvenate their bodies for the next match. Them being off this week doesn't help at all for anybody else in WSL looking to catch up. They have one more game remaining, and that's against the Houston Dash on on Halloween. And that could clinch them the the the, the third place spot. And they're again if results head their way, they could actually get the number two spot. And that would be awesome. That would mean we'd be here for a home game. Man. Well, we are now technically, but I would, I mean, <laughs> I would love, I want, I want, I feel like of all the teams, yes, Portland's been the best team thus far this year. It's, I think you know, the Spirit has been has been one of the more consistent, entertaining teams this season, outside of Portland. Yeah, and again, I said this in the start of the season: like they built up a squad to win a title, but tactically, Richie was tinkering too much. He's tinkering too much. Him being removed actually helped soccer-wise because they got to play in that system. One system, and they're just replacing parts when people go down. And, you know, they played without Andy Sullivan because they were watching her minutes today. And it, was, it wasn't it was even like she was gone. Yeah, they played more of a defensive phase because they were other waiting. But the fact that they were able to get those two goals, especially the Ashley Hatch goal, which was on the run to play, running down a counterattack, that's not really a spirit goal. They don't do counterattacks. So the fact that it shows that they're progressing as a team uh, tactically as well as a unit that's been going through a lot of shit. Right, and also highlight real goals. Uh, the Spirit got a couple of those this season, so they're used to do that. But all in all, I think that this uh, the win and just them clinching the playoff spot despite everything that's gone on is just a testament to how well the team's been playing all year. And so... 
it's interesting just to see how they're going to move forward. Uh, One more home game uh, on Halloween at all, all days. So that should be fun. And hopefully they get to clinch the second seed. If not, if not, you know, this would be, I think the spirit are going to be a team that you don't really want to face in the playoffs at all. Cause not only are they highly motivated again, given all the situation that's gone on with them, we don't have to repeat that. Uh, it goes without saying, to be honest with you and just the uh, pieces that they have. Not only do you have great veteran leadership on the team with Andy Sullivan, Kelly O'Hara, uh, Emily Sonnet, just to name a few, but you got two dangerous young players in Trinity Rodman and Ashley Sanchez that could absolutely destroy teams in, in just the in just one felt swoop. So, and on top of that, the ben- the benched role players uh, such as Tegan McGrady, for example. They can they can also pretty much give you fit. So all in all, this is a really well balanced team, and this is one team you don't really want to face in the playoffs if if that if that happens to be your luck. So it should be interesting. Yeah, speaking of a team you don't want to play, that seemed to be the sentiment around the U.S. men's national team fan base as the U.S. men's national team prepared for its third match in a group of three World Cup qualifiers in the October window. But the U.S., after surrendering an early goal, they got two goals to beat Costa Rica 2-1. to one. The frenetic start happened in the opening minute, but it was Serginho Desk and Timothy Uea who got the goals for the U.S. men's national team. They played in Ohio, where they got their ninth straight, their ninth victory in Ohio. So it seems like a good place for them to play. With the result, the United States remains in second place, heading into the November window where they'll face Mexico in Cincinnati, Ohio, before traveling to Jamaica. This was the youngest roster the U.S. men's national team has ever fielded in any competition, not just World Cup qualifying. Your standout, usual, crazy affair where the USMT gives up the early goal, but they were able to bounce back. Mario, what are your thoughts on how the U.S. men's team <laughs> handled what everybody feared to be their toughest opponent before Mexico? You mean to tell me that you had to fear a team full of old men? I am speaking for the naive fan base that doesn't pay attention to what's going on outside of the the U.S. men's national team and goes by traditional stereotypes, a.k.a. previous results, and are not paying attention to what's going on to these other nations. I have been telling you for the past year and a half that Costa Rica is nothing. They are no worse or no better than Honduras, El Salvador, and Panama. They're all the same now. Hey, you know what's the funniest the funniest thing about it is the school the goal was scored by Kayshawn Fuller, probably <laughs> one of the youngest members of the Costa Rican national team. He's Take that as you show. will. He's the one to show up. The one to show up. <laughs> and for, and for those that are like, it was an offside, not necessarily. But so I think you just cut the wrong side. Ta-da. But anyway, I think the USMT did well in bouncing back. These are these because these are one of those games like, okay, you go down early, you try to readjust yourself because 
the goal landed in the first minute. You're not totally adjusted to the game. But once they got themselves settled into the game, I think the U.S. started clicking. And Serginho Des made up for keeping Keishon Fuller onside by scoring what was an absolute beauty of a goal from outside, from outside the box, beating Kaylor Navas, who was Costa Rica's best player up to that point. They were able to press Costa Rica and absolutely test them to their test them for the most part. But still, Costa Rica, being that they're veterans at this because their youngest player outside of Keishon Fuller isn't under the age of 35, uh, were able to give them some nervy moments. I know people got nervous when Brian Ruiz went on a breakaway and then Chris Richards caught up to him 25 seconds later. Uh, other than that, I think the USMT did pretty solid. Timmy Weah's goal. Should be should be given to Timmy Weah. That's not an own goal. It just bounces off the goalkeeper, and so it's a good result, uh, considering that you lost in Panama the game before, and you're clicking and rolling. I know people are like, "Oh my God, well what happens now? We're playing Mexico." Yeah, you're playing Mexico in Cincinnati, Mexico till the year 2016 hadn't won a game in the state of Ohio. And on top of that, you beat them twice before, but this is a whole different animal going into it. It's World Cup qualifying. But I think they, they've got a, mo- a pretty decent momentum building going into these games in November. Yeah, I thought, one, with the way I go, we have to put some context to that. Timothy Way, I got that shot in and passed the goalkeeper, but that was not Killer Navas. Carol Navas was subbed out due to an abductor injury, and it could have been possibly a torn rotator cuff. We still don't know for sure what the injury was, but we know it was an abductor cuff injury, and he had to be subbed out. That was a blessing for the United States that he got subbed out because he's in the net. He makes that save, and we're then not talking about Timothy Way of scoring. We're talking about what a nice save by... Keir Navas. Keir Navas is the reason why Costa Rica is where it is now because they're still freaking good defensively. Offensively, it's still a struggle. But in that opening minute, I mean, you saw what could happen when youth mixed with veteran experience could guide you to a goal. And that was a good place ball. Onside, offside, whatever. It was a good place ball, and the USMT were caught napping in the back line. It's plain and simple. He was caught napping. And so I didn't I wasn't sure about the goalkeeping change, but then it makes sense because with the fact that you're bringing these guys over, it would you're playing three games in a week. You need to do rotation all positions at some point, whether it's using all subs or starting different players and clearly Craig Berhalter made this a priority and so I was fine with the goalkeeper switch um the goals you know so Junior Des did the thing that I've been begging more Americans to do and that's take on people one-on-one just take them on shoot the daylights out of it and just you know go for it you know I didn't even know he's not a left footer I always thought he was left footed but apparently no, didn't know didn't know that either <laughs> Yeah, he's not a left footer. And so the fact that he cracked that real hard with his left foot, 
and he says something. And so, I mean, he did a great job. It was the end of a sequence of, of where nine of the 11 players on the field for the U.S. men's national teams touched the ball and were a part of that process, which shows that, you know, there's some movement, that that's what the U.S. wants to play. But they should be blessed that Karen Navas wasn't in for the second half and be blessed that apparently Brian Reese can only run 15 miles an hour. <laughs> that, now, that was a Richards mistake. He tried to play it backwards. He, he did a lazy pass, which that's why I don't like playing at the back too much because the, you're, you're prone to make lazy passes, and that was one of them. You make a lazy pass, and look what happened, a counterattack. We just weren't expecting, you know, Scuba Steve to come out here and play soccer. My man was running very, very slow. You know, any <laughs> other any other World Cup qualifying process prior to Wednesday, that's a goal from Brian Ruiz, or that's at the very least a shot on target. That man, well, yeah, he, he lost a step on that one. I I didn't expect him to run that slow, but then again, he's 36. It got even funnier when they brought in 40-year-old Alvaro Saborio into the game. I want to remind everyone, when Alvaro Saborio left DC United because the contract was low, there was an offer that was not to his liking when he left. He said, I'm going to plan to play two more years to Costa Rica and then call it a day. He said that on 2018. 2018, my man is still out here playing <laughs> at a level that Costa Rica thinks is acceptable so he can get called up. And he got called up after the first game of the three this month. That means he, he got was called up because Joel Campbell got injured. And I know what you're thinking. How on earth does a 40-year-old get called up? Remember, this is CONCACAF. A 60-year-old vice president played for a club team that he owns during a CONCACAF sanctioned tournament. Anything is possible. Right. So, I mean, look, I think the U.S. did an excellent job after the first goal of settling down, playing their game, finding opportunities. But it, you can't, you can't hope, you can't hope for these same prayers when you're playing against Mexico. You have to be more stable in the back. If you're going to play from the back, you have to be more precise with your passing. You have to prepare to counterattack. And and there were moments against Costa Rica because of how Costa Rica played. We have to be fair of the opposition. There were no moments for the United States to get back into doing its counterattacking. And I think that is going to be key against Mexico. And... The lineups are going to be important against Mexico. I think we finally saw that the United States is good with certain players on the lineup, and certain experiments need to be killed. <laughs> you know, I'm good with Paul Riola. I love Paul. I think he is a great player to have in the national team. Him and Lejet are perfect pieces, but I would like to see a little bit more of Yunus uh, Musa. On the, on the team, he played well. And Tyler Adams, I think he is the new number six. And he is 
he should never play right back ever again. No, they play that, him right that, back that, that again. should never been an experiment that that should have came to Craig Burhalter's mind to begin with. He should never play right back ever again. It was ridiculous when they did it at Red Bull. It was ridiculous, and that's New York Red Bull. <laughs> that's where they not, did it. Not first. to be confused with Red Bull Leipzig, New York Red Bull. New York Red Bull did it first because that's what desperate coaches do. Chris Red Bull was the coach. Thank you, Mario. That's not subtle at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> so it's just. I think that man should play every minute going forward for the U.S. Men's National Team. And Ricardo Pepe, even though he didn't score, he was doing the little things right as a striker, and he's got to start against Mexico. And how good it's going to be if he scores against Mexico being a Mexican-American. I cannot wait. Oh, yeah. No, and then on top of that, you may possibly get Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic back for those games. And on top of that, Mexico has played pretty solid. They've won, they won their last two games against Honduras at home and on the road against El Salvador. They're pretty convincing victories, and they played extremely well. And they're also getting pieces back. They got Raul Jimenez back in this in this cycle. They got Irving and Chucky Lozano back, two guys that absolutely terrorized defenses in CONCACAF and have been able to do it in Europe as well. Not to mention that you're get that you're going to be going up against pro- arguably one of the better goalkeepers Concacaf has ever produced in Guillermo Ochoa. That Mexico is leading the the uh, World Cup qual the octagonal for a reason. This is a team that isn't to be trifled with. This is a team that's very well compact, plays plays pretty decent off the back with Gerard, with Gerardo Martino. They bought into that system. There may be flaws here and there. But other than that, Mexico is still, you know, one of the giants of CONCACAF. It's not the giant of CONCACAF for a reason. And so this is going to be a game that's not going to be easy for the USMT. And they're going to be looking to bring their bring in their best players as well. I think what will help and will end with this is the fact that it won't be a three-game window. It'll be, it'll be a two-game window. It'll be Mexico, four days off, then at Jamaica. So bring your A game for both teams because it's going to be a required six points. You want to win at home and you want to go to Jamaica and make a statement against Jamaica. You want to call that. You want to end it, end it with the butt, end the year on the right note uh, and keeping your position intact in the top three. Remember, top three go straight to the World Cup, and that's where you want to be, especially with this young roster who builds in confidence, but you want them to build confidence, but stay relatively calm at the same time. And if I'm Craig Bohalter, I'm really considering bringing some vets back just to fill out the bench in ways that will work more in the locker room now that you have two matches to worry about. This is one of those times where you may want to think about a Michael Bradley. You may want to think about bringing a vet you know, it was good to have Jelly Zardes in there, even though he wasn't really ill-effective in these three matches. But him there probably helped Ricardo Pepe calm down a bit and be a little more chill. Whereas, you know, I'm the new kid on the block. I want to 
you know, we saw it, we saw it in their loss against Panama. He wanted to do everything to get the game back in for the U.S. and he wasn't playing his position. A veteran tells him, "Hey, dude, you're our nine. I don't need you coming back to help our back four like that a lot, unless it's a corner kick or a free kick. You shouldn't be back here. You should be ready for a counter, and that's what they're gonna need. They're gonna need him to be prepared mentally and positionally." Especially if you get Christian back and Gio back, those are going to be your two speed guys setting up the start of that counter. So hopefully everybody's healthy for that Mexico game. Right. Right. And also in having Michael Bradley, if you recall Michael Bradley hypothetically for these two games, it would also help out guys like Tyler Adams and Weston McKenney. And also given that, He's played. He's a veteran of these campaigns against Mexico. You get a perspective. You'll get that perspective from a veteran in, in telling you in telling them what to expect. Even though, yes, they've already played Mexico twice in the summer, they'd have an idea what to expect. You're playing Mexico in a World Cup qualifier. It's a total different ball game, and that would be and it would be key to have a veteran presence, not playing per se but just to be like that mentor in the locker room for these kinds of situations. Well, that'll be enough for us here on the Bad Hombres FC podcast. Remember to rate subscribe as always on Anchor, Spotify, and all your audio platforms. Thank you. Special shout out as always from Kevin McLeod and Impotech for their intro music. Before we let you go, Mario, do you want to tell the people where they can find out more about you? All right, if you want to find out what I'm working on or if you just want to see me shout out Hernan Losada for being the brand new drip god of MLS, to follow me on Twitter at MarioMaya1. you want to find out what's going on in the world and in the DMV, you can follow El Tiempo Latino on El at El Tiempo Latino on Twitter. You can go on their website, eltiempolatino.com. And if you want to help me buy a brand new jacket for this winter because it's, it's getting cold outside, y'all, you can go to your local newsstand or metro station and get yourself a hard copy today. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Jose underscore M underscore Mana for more. Thank you so much for tuning into the Bad Hombres FC podcast, and we will talk to you soon. Adios.